following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
in the heart of every man, in the heart of every woman, is a stubborn refusal to submit. Oh, we'll submit if we see some great advantage as to a boss. But there is a natural reluctance, stubbornness, that says, I will not submit. I will not allow another to have any authority over my life. I am the fount of freedom and knowledge and wisdom. This rejection of humility has caused much destruction in marriage, in family relationships, where one sets themselves up as the judge of the other, and love does not rule, but instead opinion rules. And in this tragedy, there is such brokenness and anguish and pain. Marriage often breaks because a wife refuses to be subject to her husband and the husband refuses to love his wife as he loves himself in the church we each have our opinions our ideas I want to tell you very frankly where I am today I am in utter submission to Jesus Christ and to my brothers and sisters. I cannot afford arrogance or pride. I cannot afford to stand up and pretend that I'm the fount of wisdom and knowledge. I'm not. I'm no one. I come proclaiming Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I am the least of all men. But Jesus is everything. And so I come hiding in Jesus, knowing that I am the least of all men, proclaiming to you a Christ, a Messiah, Jesus. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. My name is Ray Greenley. I pastor the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. You are welcome to come. If your heart is to submit to the Lord Jesus Christ, to no longer in any manner submit to your culture or to the ways of darkness, but you choose Jesus Christ, then you're welcome to come to the prayer chapel and I'll share with you later in the broadcast the phone number where you can call and get directions and have any questions you might have answered. Now I want to share with you today out of the book Pilgrim's Progress for that is what this broadcast was named after the great John Bunyan Allegory, the number one allegory in the English language. 1670, it was published for the first time. 
this story is timeless. But I want to drill in very specifically on this issue today of pride and arrogance blocking the way for the kingdom of God. In the story, we pick up with Christian and his companion, Faithful, as they make their way, having just gone through the valley of humiliation and the valley of the shadow of death, and they are walking together, and they are joined by a companion, a third, and his name is Mr. Talkative. Now, I'm not going to describe him in detail for you. The book does that. But I want to move quickly to Faithful as he engages Mr. Talkative in a discussion. Mr. Talkative can talk about anything. He has all the right answers theologically, but he's equally willing to talk about whatever subject you would like to talk about. He is erudite. He is well-learned. He is sophisticated in his knowledge. And so, Faithful comes close to where his companion is walking. And he said, When we last spoke, you left to me to pose a topic for discussion. Here is my question. How does the saving grace of God make itself known when it is in the heart of a man? Now, as we begin to consider this question, I'd like to pray. Lord Jesus, this is not a question that we can quickly or easily answer. For the answer out of the flesh will certainly be wrong. So, Lord, I ask now that you would show us in a very practical way what it looks like what it truly looks like to have the saving grace of God making itself known in our hearts. Lord, let us put aside preconceived notions. Let us put aside our arrogance and our pride. And let us hear honestly what your Holy Spirit would teach us today. I ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. The question, how does the saving grace of God make itself known when it is in the heart of a man or a woman? Talkative begins. You want to talk about the power of things? Well, that's a very good question, and I'll be happy to answer you. I will make my answer brief and to the point. First, Where the grace of God is at work in the heart, it causes there to be a great outcry against sin. Secondly, oh, faithful interjects, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's consider your points one at a time. I think you should have said it makes itself known by inclining the soul to hate its sin. Well, what's the difference between crying out against sin and hating sin. Faithful answered, 
there's a great deal of difference. A man may cry out against sin out of principle, but he cannot hate it unless he has God's own antipathy against it. For instance, I've seen many cry out against sin in the pulpit, yet who abide it well enough in their own heart, in their own home, in the, in the manner of life they live. Potiphar's wife cried out against Joseph with a loud voice, as if she had been very holy. Yet she would have gladly, despite her cries to the contrary, committed adultery with him. Some cry out against sin, as a mother cries out against her child when she calls her a no-good-for-nothing and a naughty girl and then smothers her with hugs and kisses. Today in our culture, we have slang expressions. We say, you're bad, meaning you're really good. But badness, evil, has taken the day. And so we use slang that's understood in our culture to say, that's really dark. But what we mean is, for me, that's really light. This man, talkative, he's willing to talk a good game. He'll use all the modern words, but he's not a holy man. Faithful responded to him, I'm trying to set things right so that our conversation is profitable. For what is the second way in which a work of grace makes itself known in the heart of man? Great knowledge of gospel ministries, Talkative answered, faith countered. This is a sign that should have been first, but first or last, it's also false. For knowledge, even great knowledge, may be obtained in the mysteries of the gospel without a work of grace in the soul. The truth is that a man can have an abundance of knowledge and still be nothing, and so consequently, no child of God. When Christ asked, Do you know all these things? And the disciples answered, Yes. He added, Blessed are you if you do them. He did not pronounce a blessing for knowing, but for doing. For there is a knowledge that is not connected with doing. He that knows his master's will and does not do it, a man may know like an angel and yet not be a Christian. Therefore, the point you make, talkative, is not true. Indeed, to know is something that pleases talkers and boasters, but to do is that which pleases God. Not that the heart can be good without knowledge, for without knowledge the heart is empty. But there are two kinds of knowledge. First, the bare speculation of things, the facts. The second is accompanied by the grace of faith and love, which causes a man to do the will of God from the heart. 
The first kind of knowledge will serve just the talker. But a true Christian will not be content until his knowledge results in a sincere work that pleases God. Give me understanding, and I shall keep thy law. Yea, I shall observe it with all of my heart. Psalm 119.34 Talkative protested. You're trying to trap me again. This is not edifying. Well, then, tell me another way in which the saving grace of God makes itself known when it is in the heart of man, faithful challenged. Oh, not I, for I see that you shall not agree. Well, if you will not, may I have your permission to do so. You're free to say whatever you want, Talkative said. Faithful began, A work of grace in the soul makes itself known either to the one who has it or to the onlookers. Where God's grace is truly at work, it produces conviction of sin as the converted soul becomes aware of the defilement of his nature and the sin of unbelief, a sin that he knows now with certainty will send him to hell unless he finds mercy at God's hand by faith in Jesus Christ. This new awakening of the soul works in him to produce a sorrow and a shame for sin. But that's not all. He also finds revealed to him the Savior of the world and realizes the absolute necessity of clinging to the Savior for life. When he desperately clutches onto him, the awakened soul finds that his hunger and thirst for the Savior increased just as it was promised. Now, according to the strength or weakness of his faith in his Savior, so is his joy or his peace. So is his love for holiness. So are his desires to know him more and to serve him more single-mindedly in this present world. You know, it's amazing to me. Often as I read this story, and I consider the grace of God, I recognize that sometimes I'm not even aware when the grace of God is beginning to move in my heart. I'm not aware of it. But as the grace of God continues to move in my heart, the tears will come. And the confession of shortcomings will come. And the humility of heart will come. Only God's grace can humble a man or a woman's heart and cause them to be submissive instead of rebellious. Rebellion is an ugly thing in a child, but it's much more ugly in an adult. And we settle into this cold Laodicea, lukewarm Christian life, go to church, go do that, do this, do that, Life is mundane. There's no excitement. There's only the excitement that is false, which comes from entertainment. And so we can get excited about a football game, or we can get excited about a concert, or we can get excited about some other foolish thing that leads us into darkness. 
but the excitement that comes from seeing Jesus. This is the excitement that the Holy Spirit brings into our heart. Again, the book Pilgrim's Progress. The work of God's grace is made known as follows. Number one, by a confession of faith in Christ. By a confession of faith in Christ. Not an intellectual confession, a heart confession, an opening of the heart, a humbling of the spirit. You see, grace causes the soul to hate his sin. Grace produces conviction of sin. It doesn't smother the conviction. It doesn't relieve us of the conviction. It produces conviction. It produces sorrow. It produces shame. And it gives a great revelation of who Jesus Christ is. You see, when grace is moving in the heart, there is a tender heart. It's not cold. It's not calloused. It's tender. It has compassion. There is a sense of conviction about mistakes, about things of the past. The grace of God was working in my father as he was dying. He was the holiest man I've ever known. He loved Jesus. He loved people. But the nurses would come into him as he was in the hospital and they couldn't keep him in bed he was on his knees the nurses would Mr. Greenley please 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 you need to be back in bed you're very sick and he would answer no I need to be with Jesus and to be with Jesus I need to be on my knees great humility of heart great tenderness of heart He had a revelation of Jesus in all of his glory. It's this confession of faith in Jesus that is the evidence, first and foremost, of the moving of God's grace in your heart. When was the last time you sat before the Lord and just wept out of sorrow for the past or out of the sorrow for your pride or your arrogance or you wept before Jesus because of your situation and you need deliverance from the Almighty and you submit to him and say whatever you need to do Jesus I'm yours whatever the outcome of this needs to be I'm yours and as you're before him and his tenderness and his love just causes you to begin to weep before him If this is not your experience, you have not had true grace working in your heart. True grace humbles a man or a woman and turns them toward Jesus. 
Now, secondly, saving grace is evidenced by a life that is answerable to that confession. To be specific, a life of holiness, of heart purity, heart holiness, family holiness. And by life and conversation, sharply distinguished from the world. A man who is under the grace of God will not walk into a church and chit-chat about the worldly sports. A man who is filled with the grace of God will not walk into church with brothers and sisters and laugh and joke. A pastor who is filled with the grace of God will not stand up in front of his congregation and open with a joke and laughter and casualness. It simply won't happen. It's an evidence, it's a sign that this man or this woman is not under the grace of God. A man who is under or a woman who is under inwardly the grace of God will inwardly hate both his sin and himself for his sinning. He will deal with sin in his own heart with honest confession and repentance. He will deal with the sin in his family by calling them to honest confession and repentance. A dear brother spoke with me about his family, and I said, how was last night for you and your family? He said, oh, we had a wonderful time together. We were confessing our sins. We were making peace. We were talking about Jesus. Oh, here's a family on the way to heaven. Had he said to me, we sat down and watched a movie, I would have said, you don't have the evidence of the grace of God in your heart. The evidence of the grace of God is a pure heart with confession and repentance and tears. The grace of God promotes holiness in the world. This man does not talk only as a hypocrite or talkative person may do, but he is or she is a practical demonstration of the humble godly life in faith and love through the power of the word. He said to talkative, if you have no objection to this brief description of the work of grace, how how does it evidence itself in your life? And I have another question for you. And Talkative responded, My part is not to object, but to listen. Let me hear your next question. Faithful went on. It is this. Have you experienced what I have described? Do your life and your conduct testify to prove it? Or does your religion consist of words only, without deeds to attest 
to the truth of those words. Please, if you want to answer me, be careful to say no more than what you know God above will say amen to. Say nothing that your conscience would not approve. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. Besides, it is great wickedness to say, I am such and such, when my conduct and all my neighbors say something completely opposite. Talkative began to blush, and then quickly recovered and said, You talk now about experience and conscience and God. You appeal to him for justification for what is spoken. This is not the kind of discourse I expected, nor am I disposed to give an answer to such questions, nor do I feel obligated to answer unless you are taking on the job of catechism teacher. Even if that is how you see yourself, I refuse to allow you to become my judge." but I would be interested in why you ask me such questions. Faithful responded, Because you're so anxious to talk, because I wanted to know if there was anything to back up your talk besides talk. Also to tell you the whole of it, I've heard about you. They say you are a man whose religion is talk, and that you conduct it at odds with what you profess with your mouth. They say you are a blemish among Christians and that true religion gets a bad reputation because of your ungodly conduct. I've heard that some have already stumbled because of your wicked ways and that even more in danger of being destroyed by your example. Ill houses, bars, coveting, unclean, swearing, lying, bad companions, and a host of other unsavory things all kept your company. The proverb about the whore is true of you, which is that she is ashamed to all women. So are you ashamed to all true professing Christians. And with that, he cuts off the conversation and walks away. Now my question to you, does your life and your conduct testify or prove your claim of being a Christian? Now if you answer me, we're all sinners and I can only do the best I can do and I can't leave my sin. In fact, nobody can leave their sin You are speaking as a man who has not been born from above. You are a professional Christian. You are not a true Christian. Because you do not have the evidence of the Holy Spirit and the grace of God working in your life. Now I say that with all kindness. But I've come to a point where I must know Does your life and your conduct, pardon me, testify or prove your claim of God's grace? Or does your religion consist of words only, without deeds? And in that condition, 
Do you claim to be a Christian and claim to be saved? Have you deceived yourself and your family? Because the evidence of your life is that you do not have the grace of God working in your heart and in your life? Is that the evidence in your life that you are not a Christian? Because the Holy Spirit is not moving in your heart and causing you to humble it and repent and walk holy before God. Now, talkative, he answers, since you are ready to listen to the reports of others and to make rash judgments, I conclude that you are a spiteful or melancholy man and not a fit partner for discussion, and so adieu. And Talkative dismissed him. Then Christian came beside Faithful, and he said to his brother in faith, I told you how it would happen. Your words and his lust could not agree. He would rather leave your company than reform his life. And he has left us, as I said he would. So we must let him go. The loss is his own, and he has saved us the trouble of leaving him. If he had stayed with us, as I am sure he would have, he would have been a blot to our company. Besides, the apostle says, from such withdraw thyself. Now this is extremely painful when this is a person you dearly love. But in their arrogance and in their hardness of heart, in their refusal to be submissive or humble, it becomes very clear that their life does not demonstrate what they say they claim. And you come to a point where you can simply no longer fellowship or talk with them because they become very angry and very hostile. They want to separate from you. They don't enjoy your company because you only want to talk about Jesus. And they scorn your heart holiness, your purity. They scorn... They scorn you. Now, I'll tell you what happens to me when I have had that kind of conversation with someone, particularly someone that I love. I find myself walking in a deep wilderness. There is a sense of dryness, and discouragement that comes into my heart after a lengthy encounter with a talkative person. It's always dry conversation that depresses and discourages the soul. When we are free to talk about Jesus and his glory, and we're free to talk about his grace, when we're free to talk about 
the heaviness in our heart that comes from a moment of lust, or we're free to talk about what happens in our heart when we become bitter and angry with someone, when we're free to talk about when our heart is hurting because we've been misunderstood, when we're free to pray and lift up Jesus as the answer for the pain in our heart, when we dismiss anger from our spirit, then the Holy Spirit comes. And he sets us free. It is hiddenness and hardness of heart. It is pride and anger that cause a person to walk in a dry desert. We have Jesus, the Lord and Savior of our life. And this man, Jesus, loves us with such compassion and such mercy. When you find yourself dry in your spirit, it's probably because you have not been telling the truth about what's going on inside of you. And it's probably because you've not been spending any time in prayer probably because you've not been spending time reading the scriptures and fellowshipping with Jesus and lifting up your heart to him and allowing the grace of God to soften every hard place in your spirit or your heart. So let me ask the question again. Does the conduct of your life testify or prove your claim that God's grace is working in your heart? Or does your religion consist of words only and you're filled with cynicism and anger? You're filled with judgments and accusations against brothers and sisters, husbands and wives. A bitterness in your spirit, you only want Quiet. You don't want anybody to ask you any questions or talk with you about the things of heart purity. Has the Holy Spirit, by His grace, been working in your heart? I'd like to take some time now. I'd like to just pray. Almighty God, this issue is so vital. I ask for your grace to come now. I ask for the descent of the Holy Spirit on every person who is listening to this broadcast. I ask, Lord, that you would uncover every place of hardness and bitterness I ask that you would uncover pride, arrogance. I ask, Lord, that you would 
exposed in their hearts and their minds where they have in their pride and self-sufficiency refused to submit to a husband or they have refused to submit to family or friends who come in heart purity, who come humble, not with accusations, but with humility, seeking peace. Lord, I I plead with you right now, would you move over the heart of every person in this great congregation on the radio, on the internet? Lord, would you come right now and make yourself known to every person listening? Would you begin that softening work that only the grace of our Lord Jesus can bring? Lord, would you begin to soften the heart of every person listening? Would you turn them away from bitterness and anger? Would you cause them to begin to weep before you and repent for the pride of their hearts and the hardness of their spirit. O come, Holy Spirit, bring the glory of our Lord Jesus into the heart of every person listening. Bring the joy of the Lord. Lord, as men and women begin to confess their sin, as they begin to turn from their hardness, as they begin to feel and sense and know the moving of the Holy Spirit upon them, Lord Jesus, would you come and meet them? Lord, I know right now you're doing this. Lord, would you cause them to begin to confess, I am crucified with you, Jesus. I am crucified with you, Jesus. And I will no longer live. I am asking you, Jesus, to come and live out the gospel in my life that I would no longer bring shame upon the gospel. Oh, Lord, some who are listening right now have brought great shame upon your name out of their pride and anger and accusations. Oh, Lord, out of their wickedness, out of their turning back to their their wickedness, Lord. Would you come and meet them? I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. I want to read for you a passage of Scripture. It's found in Colossians. Chapter 3. If then you were raised up with Christ... You must seek the things above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. You must set your mind upon the things above, not upon the things of earth. For you died and your life has been hid with Christ in God. When Christ, our life, may be manifested, then you will also be made manifest with him in glory. Accordingly, you did voluntarily to put to death your members that are upon the earth, sexual immorality, uncleanness, lustful desires, 
evil desire, greed which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you also walked at one time, when you used to live in these things. But now, you did also voluntarily put off all these things, anger, wrath, ill will, evil speaking, slander, obscene speech out of your mouth. You must not lie to one another, having already put off the old man with his practices, and having already put on the new man, the one being renewed in true knowledge according to the image of the one having created him, where there is not Gentile or Jew, circumcision or uncircumcision, foreigner, Scythian, servant, free man, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore you must put on, as chosen ones of God, holy, and having been beloved, deep feelings of compassion, kindness, humility, courtesy, patience toward others, bearing with one another, and freely favoring each other, if any one may have a complaint against another, just as the Christ freely favored you, in this manner you also do. And above all these things, have love, which is the bond of perfection. So let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you also were called in one body, and you must be thankful the word of Christ must dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing each other with psalms and hymns and, and spiritual songs, singing with gratitude in your heart to the Lord. And everything, whatever you may do, in word or work, do all things in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the God and Father through him. The wives, you must be subject to your own husband as is proper in the Lord. The husband, you must love your wives and you must not be bitter against them. The children, you must obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. And the fathers, you must not make your children resentful so that they may not be discouraged. The servants, you must obey all things the master says according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And everything, whatever you may do, you must work from the heart as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance for you are servants for the Lord Christ and the one doing wrong will receive back what he has done wrong. There is no favoritism. This is Colossians, the third chapter I've just read to you. Lord, as I read this passage, I see clearly here what the evidence 
of your indwelling spirit is as it cleanses and purifies by the blood of Jesus, as it turns us, almighty God, as it turns us away from darkness and wickedness, as it causes us to submit one to another and humble our hearts. Lord, I so desire true holiness, not only in my life, but in my family and in the church that we will evidence the beautiful grace of Jesus in all that we do and all that we say, that there will be no falseness. Lord, come quickly. I pray in your holy name. Amen. Well, you've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. Share this broadcast with someone. Send it to them. You can find it on our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. You can also give online at nationalprayerchapel.com. Or you can go to YouTube, and it will be up this evening. And you can forward it to someone and ask them to please listen. Now, you're welcome to come to the National Prayer Chapel if you're one who wants to Jesus and wants the grace of God to work and function in your heart, I invite you to come. Let me give you the phone number, 703-489-1785. That's 703-489-1785. We're a house church. Our entire focus is on Jesus and walking pure and clean by his power not by works lest any man should boast our faith is in Jesus Christ we don't believe in imputed grace we believe in imparted grace we believe that grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and empowers us by the Spirit and by the blood to walk clean before Jesus. You're welcome to come. Now, let me give you our address. We're coming to the end of the month, and I'm very grateful for one dear sister who gave yesterday online toward this final end-of-the-month bill that will soon be due. You can write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Again, write to me at the National Prayer Chapel. Make your checks payable to the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. And all that you send will help pay for the expense of this radio broadcast. We are from month to month. We are trusting in Jesus to move in your heart. As the Holy Spirit moves, would you obey? God bless you, my dear brother, my dear sister. 
I pray the grace of God is moving in your heart and in your life and that there's no rebellion. God bless you. I love you. I'll talk to you soon. With great joy Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy with Cry.